Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Four Press Podcast presented by GolfWeek.com. I'm your host, David Dusak, and in this episode, my guest is LPGA Tour star Christina Kim. As you will hear, she is currently in Edinburgh, Scotland, preparing for this week's Aberdeen Standard Investments Ladies Scottish Open, which is being held at the Renaissance Club. Very nice. In the podcast you're about to hear, Christina and I talk at length about her diet and lifestyle changes that have not only helped her perform better on the golf course, but help her feel better off of it. We also talk about how learning about golf courses and golf course design and agronomy have not only helped her appreciate golf courses and venues where she goes, but also play better and play smarter. And we also talk about traveling and playing on the LPGA Tour during the COVID-19 pandemic. Look, Christina is not holding back here, so sit down, get comfortable, and enjoy. Get stronger, hit longer, and end pain with Golf Forever. Created by Justin Leonard and co-author of the Younger Next Year Back Book, Dr. Jeremy James, Golf Forever is the take-anywhere online golf fitness program that helps you build a body prime for golf. It's simple, safe, and it works. At home, in the gym, on the golf course, Golf Forever's easy-to-follow exercises, warm-up routines, and course management videos will help you play your best pain-free. Sign up today at GolfForever.com and use promo code GOLFWEEK for a free 14-day trial. So I was trying to get this podcast going with my guest, Christina Kim, when she was in Florida, when she was in Ohio. That would be simple. But no, that didn't happen. Um, it's going to take an ocean. Uh, it's going to take a hazmat suit. It's going to take all this stuff. To get this podcast going, I would like to welcome Christina Kim to the Forward Press Podcast. How you doing, champ? What's going on? Hey, I'm great. No, I'm good. I just landed here in Scotland um, and in my hotel room, quarantining until I get the results of my uh, nasal stabby stabby that I undertook a couple hours ago. And so I am not allowed to leave my room until I figure out that I am negative, which is what we're all hoping for. Not that you would ever in a million years venture outside or do anything to endanger yourself or to un- unbeknownst to you endanger others. Are, what, what is stopping you right now other than good faith from from leaving your hotel room? Just try and paint me a little bit of a word picture about what what what's outside the door, what's outside the hotel, what have they set up over there? Well, I mean, we're, we're right in the heart of Edinburgh, and it is absolutely gorgeous. I do love this city. Um, if I'm being perfectly honest, I'm not wearing pants, so that's going to be one of the things that's keeping hey me now. If I don't, well, once I take my pants off, it takes it, it, it takes mountains being moved for me to put them back on until the next day. <laughs> you know, it's just, see, this is where in some ways men and women are very different, but in some ways we are the same. When people get into their <laughs> hotel room, they just relax. Nobody's looking. They just they just go about their business and such like that. Um, I have to. I want to go right from at the top with this um, and get it out of the way. When I saw some recent pictures of you on Instagram a few weeks ago, I didn't recognize you, and I mean that in a great positive way. It was. I looked at this picture of your profile. I did not recognize your your picture, and I then went through and I'm like, Christine. I'm like, I, I don't. Oh my gosh! And then I went through. It's a whole, you're a whole new person. Oh my gosh. Like you have done an amazing transformation of yourself. It's, it's keto, right? You've been eating keto. Yeah. I've been keto for just under a year so far. Um, you know, yep. and if I'm being perfectly honest, I didn't go into this adventure trying to lose weight. I, I mm-hmm. kind of joke that I have shallow hell syndrome in that I see people for who they are and not what they look like. I don't really care much for the corporal. And so for me, I just went in to one, see what would happen uh, to me mentally and emotionally, because those are Mm -hmm. far more important things to me than what I look like. 
And so, um, you know, I'd had a number of people in my life that had, had tried it, had done it. They, they enjoyed it. They were on it. They were off it, got back on, whatever else. And I just said, you know, I need to get these shackles of sugar off of me. I mean, yeah. I was having like a soda a day. Uh, didn't realize that like a 12 ounce can of brand name soda has like 41 grams of sugar. And I, I, I just, I wasn't educated in terms of my macros and things like that. So I just said, what's the worst I have? If I die, I'm, I've had a good run, whatever. If I OD because I have, you know, a half an avocado lodged down my throat and it obstructs my air passages, like, all right. Um, so it was more of a mental and an emotional journey for me than anything else. And then, you know, I mean, I pulled in the opposite of Bryson and, then after about the initial thir first 35 pounds, I was starting to work out again, uh, started working out with my trainer over in Orlando, Ryan Blackburn mm -hmm. of Orlando Golf Performance. And um, I've been, you know, between that and all of these swing changes that I've been undergoing for the last nine years, um, you know, I've really started to feel <laughs> more downing. like, in, yeah, I've been feeling more like an athlete and less of a quote unquote golfer because I, I have a friend who used to always joke with me and I'd be like, it's amazing watching, you know, what Tiger realistically has done to the game of golf, just, just in terms of mm -hmm. the physical demands that are being put on these guys all of a sudden, you know, regardless of the whole roll the ball back, you know, technology is getting out of control, track man, numbers, numbers, blah, 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 right. blah. He was like, you know, obviously it didn't help that, you know, we were living in a, in a, in a time of, you know, big loose pants and oversized shirts. And, mm. um, he said, everyone just looked like a substitute teacher whenever they were on tour. Now they look like athletes. Well, they, they've always, they've always been athletic and I would argue that they've always been coordinated. But I think that you're right. I think that every sport has certain people that change the dynamic, that change things. And Tiger, in so many different ways, um, did that. I was a tennis player and looked at Martina Navratilova and then Yvonne mm -hmm. Lendl as the people who brought fitness to tennis. You didn't just play tennis to get in shape. They did other things, lifestyle-wise, gym-wise, nutrition-wise, all that stuff. And it's interesting to hear you talking about you know things like macros and other stuff, So which, which are some of the, the checks or the, the little things that go off in my head about the way that you were being very detail-oriented, obviously, about this. And for people who want to check out some of the things on Instagram, by the way, that ribeye the other night with rosemary and garlic cooked with beef tallow, oh, that's that's like food porn of the highest quality. That, was, that looked amazing. Uh, the Christina Kim on Instagram is the account. I read a book um, called The Case Against Sugar by a guy named Gary Taubes who writes for the New York Times. And after reading Wait, that... Wait, you know Gary? I don't know him personally. I wish I did. Um, I read his book. I have seen a few different TED Talks that he's been involved with. He has been in different movies. This this subject to me, um, human performance, but also the, the role of nutrition in human performance, is fascinating to me. And I have dabbled. I'm much more of sort of a paleo than I would be strictly keto. But when you read that book, it's really, really hard to look at your grocery store the same. Um, you come oh, to understand what the sugar industry did to basically bl blame fat for all of you know, heart disease and all these other things because they had a financial interest in protecting sugar as a heart-friendly, fat-free food, therefore it's good for you, and it got all of us messed up. So d d one of the things I actually along these lines, did you bring your own food since you're living sort of this lifestyle trying to eat this way? When you travel, even domestically, it can be challenging. You're living in a hotel room. Some things are easy. Some things aren't. Going international, as you said, you're now in Scotland. How did you sort of prepare nutritionally for the trip if, if, it was, if there was a way to prepare? Well, a couple of things. One, I asked if you knew who he was because I do this thing once a week where I'm like, oh my God, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then I'll be like, oh, <laughs> how do you know him? They'd be like, well, how do you know him? I'm like, I don't know. Sorry. So I was trying to think that. <laughs> That's <out>. fine. <laughs> um, so I, I wish I did. <laughs> it took me 14 minutes to make. Like it's it that's that's one of the most amazing things about when it comes to food is um, I've always been a huge I've always been a fan of cooking I've always been a fan of fan mm -hmm. of food obviously um, thirdly I um, I myself dabbled in paleo years and years and years ago and I absolutely loved it 
I, I loved it. For me personally, just because I was a sugar monster, it was um, it was pretty easy for me to jump back into the sugar realm just because mm-hmm. my taste buds still had an inkling towards sugar. Like now if I eat it. Yeah, and, you crave it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's worse than heroin. I mean, like in, in my brain now, um, you know, if I eat an underripe strawberry, I, I can barely swallow it because it just is too sweet for me. Like the, the, the white and green parts of a strawberry, I'm like, ah, I can taste mm. that. Um, and yeah, I have probably brought with me for these two weeks, realistically, it'll probably last me for the next three because I am going to play the tournament in Arkansas after the Scottish and the um, AIG Women's British. Uh, I've probably got about 50 pounds of various like shakes, collagen powders, um, uh, keto bars, meat snacks, pounds and yeah. pounds. I've got these huge nut sacks in my uh, suitcase right now that I'm going to be taking with me everywhere that I go. And um, for me, you know, it's just I I love food and to one end, my taste buds have changed. So for me, foods that I used to enjoy, I don't find the same kind of enjoyment. Like I, you know, I'll sit there and I'll be like, you know, what? I'll, okay, I'll have a piece of bread because we're at a really nice restaurant and I want to see what, I want to see sure. what, what the bread's all about. Yeah. And it just turns into this like pasty, glorpy, like horrible lump in my mouth as I'm masticating. Cause that's another thing that I've come to find is the importance of mastication. Um, and it just does not, it does not do anything for me. And, and, and a lot of the time I'm like, I'll, I will, I'm not going to spit it out. Um, I'm not going to enjoy this though. And, and again, I mean, if I sit there and I say, okay, I'm going to have a piece of bread or I'm going to have, you know, a whatever it is, I can't think of anything that mm-hmm. I would want to eat if I were to eat it. I'm just like, you know, I'm not hyper-focused. I'm not obsessive over, uh, obsessive over it. I just am aware of, um, you know, or I'll do a quick little Google search and get, you know, a rough idea of the amount of carbs I'm consuming and just make sure that I, I allocate that to however many more I'm eating throughout the rest of the day and, and just make sure that I'm, you know, eating good fats, um, you know, grabbing an extra fistful of nuts if I need to, um, you know, if I need to take some ketone supplements, I'll take those. And, um, you know, it's, it's, really not that hard. I'm one of those, I'm one of those assholes now though, that I'm like, Oh my God, that was such a good salad. And I'm like, who are you? (laughs) It's, it's, it's a, it's a way that shows though, that, that you're ingraining the whole lifestyle, that it's not some kind of a fad. And I don't mean to belittle it in any way, but you know, week two, week three, it's like that joke. Like, how do you know somebody does CrossFit? Oh, don't, oh, just wait. They're going to tell you. They'll Um, tell you. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, and in some of the different diets and different lifestyle things like this, that people get onto, it, it can be sort of the same way. But if you're into it for a year and you start to just notice benefits to it for you, and it might not be ideal for other people, we're all different. We're wired differently for some of these things. My wife, for example, does really, really well on higher carbohydrate stuff. I mean, she's run marathons, she's done other things and very fit. Her cholesterol's, you know, through the floor. It's and it just works for her. I am not that way. When I grow higher protein, higher fat, I sleep better, I feel better, I perform better on the golf course, such as it is. Um, all, all those different things. Your as your body changed, how much did your golf swing change? How did you have to or did you find yourself needing to adjust and adapt and you sort of alluded a little earlier to swing changes for multiple years but as as your body changes we've heard guys talk about this when they lose a significant amount of weight they get out of sync they they have they struggle did you go through that well you know like i said i have been going through swing changes for the last nine years so i've been in a constant state of i don't know what i'm doing ism to an extent, um, mm-hmm. for me though, you know, I've actually everything that I've been working towards in terms of my swing of getting, you know, increasing the lag, um, you know, getting my my body to sync up better, you know, making sure because I have very very fast hips and I always have making sure that they don't get you know way too crazy out of control. This and that, I was doing all of the things that leaner people would do I was just always bouncing it off of the adipose tissue surrounding the rest of my body so I'm like I don't know why this Mm -hmm. isn't working and so you know I 
in in the original off season, which is basically from Christmas or from Thanksgiving to um, just before Valentine's Day, which is our normal off season. You know, I there are a lot of people that are like, I'm I'm not going to touch my clubs for a month. I don't want to even look at my clubs, this, that. And I'm like, I I've done that you know, over the years and I get so bored and so depressed because I love the game of golf. And so when people are like, Oh, well you have to take time off. I'm like, you have to eat. You have to breathe. You have to take a poo. Like nowhere does it say you have to do anything. Why are you going to deprive yourself of something that you love? If Mm -hmm. it's something that you love, if you need to take time off, uh, because you're like mentally exhausted. Like I get that. I go through, you know, a few times a year, I undergo what I call hibernation, which is how I basically leapt into um, this keto lifestyle that I was in, where I mm-hmm. will go home and I will lay in bed for like in August, at the end of August last year, I laid in bed for four days straight. Wow. And impressive. Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't have kids or, you know, uh, uh, I'm not, you know, a husband or, you know, any of those horrible things. I am (laughs) lucky that I have my own life. And so I just laid in bed and I had, I I always had tons of water around me and I was just subsisting off of like macadamia nuts and walnuts. And so what I did was I was sleeping like 17 hours a day would be on like the YouTube or on social media a bit, this and that. Mm. But it was more just like a mental, emotional, and physical reset of my entire being. And so as I went through that, uh, my body, I was very lucky that I was able to bypass the keto flu, which is, you know, as you're a lot nope. of times the initial weight loss, it comes uh, as primarily water weight. Um, you know, you're depleting yourself of sodium, uh, magnesium, potassium, those, those levels get kind of off. So you get foggy brain, you get headaches, you get, um, like flu like symptoms. I just slept through it all. And so when I woke up after those four days, um, I was just like, do you want a soda? And I was like, nah, I don't, I don't want a soda. I want, I want an avocado. I want some really good French cheese. I want, you know, um, to, to get a nice big juicy steak. Those are the things that are interesting me. And so I was able to just bypass that keto flu. And so again, I do my hibernation a couple times a year. I had one earlier this year in May. And for me, it's just been, I don't know, it's just been a pretty chill ride. I don't know. It's, it's in a way, it's almost like it sounds like a detox. I mean, just sort of making sure. I mean, you'd sort of called it a reset, but when you do that, it's, it's getting in some ways things that are toxic for you out and making sure that you get rest so that your body is all set. You talked about, you know, loving the game. How much of a golf nerd are you? Because one of the other posts that you put up on your Instagram feed that I really, really loved was that you said that, um, some of your most prized possessions are your personalized copies of the finan- the uh, the confidential guide from the golf courses from Tom Doak. And uh, I have met Tom Doak. So that one, yes, I know Tom Doak. Um, do you read that <laughs> stuff? How, how nerdy, how nerdy and into it do you get? Well, I mean, I guess it kind of depends on what you define as being a nerd. I love every aspect of the game, uh, whether it's playing it, whether it's understanding um, architecture, whether it's, you know, uh, trying, and I'm, I'm, you know, very, very much in the infant stages of uh, agronomy and, and trying to become a baby turf head, turf nerd in understanding like soil compositions, grass types, weather patterns, things like that. Like these are just things that, that fascinate me because having as much of an expanse of the knowledge of the game in all of its facets can only help every other aspect of the game, whether it's as a player, whether that is as, you know, like say a commentator or, um, you know, maybe one day as a golf course designer, like there's, it's Mm -hmm. there golf is so, so infinitely vast when it comes to how many components there are to this machine, which in essence means you start above the ground, you hit it on the ground, you finish underground. And it is like infinitely complex. So I guess to one end, yeah, I guess I am a bit of a golf nerd um, in that regard. I just, I think that I'm passionate about every part of the game. Like you talk to guys that are into tennis and, or not tennis, excuse me, well, tennis as well. I was meaning to say mm-hmm. that baseball and they talk about all of these statistics and, you know, it's, it's the same thing to an extent, you know, it's just, if it's something that you're passionate about, you know, why wouldn't you want to try and unlock every part of that passion that you have? 
as you get into some of those different aspects of the sport and of the game, does that change the way that you look at it as a player? I mean, as you grow up playing golf, the game, not just learning how to swing a golf club or, or something like that, but the more that you look at things like the confidential guides or start looking at different kinds of grass and turf and the agronomy stuff that you had sort of mentioned, it, I would imagine, changes the perspective on potentially how you see holes, how they can be played, especially you know, you're, you're in Scotland, you know, the, the home of the game and where you're going to be playing when Scottish, the women's open, um, does it change the way that you maybe go about trying to play? It, it definitely does enhance things. Um, I, you know, I was very fortunate. I was, um, born and raised. I basically tell people I grew up between Pebble beach and Olympic club. I was not so fortunate to grace those places very often as a child, mm. though the Junior Golf Association of Northern California, Jay Gantz, go guys there, um, were phenomenal in providing junior golfers the opportunity to play tournaments in some of these unbelievable courses all spattered throughout Northern California for like 25 bucks for a two-day tournament kind of thing. So wow. I've always had the ability to come across so many different styles of golf courses at the same time, though, you know, I, I I was so, you know, focused on just hitting this shot and playing this shot and just trying to, you know, hole right. out from the fairway every single time that, you know, I um, did learn, you know, at a young age to play the ball high, to play the ball low, to hit all nine shots and everything in between and, uh, you know, to work on various spin rates and this and that because that was how you got close to the hole. Now I understand that by virtue of the way the golf courses are constructed by the way that the architectures or the, the architects, you know, utilize the land that they were on, um, you know, understanding, you know, different, different levels of like sand and loam and things like that. You're, you, you can almost look at a golf course and it'll tell you how to play it as right. opposed to just swinging at the golf ball. It sort of reminds me the first time that I went to, an open championship. My first one was 2006, uh, going to Royal Liverpool and it was unbelievably hot. It was like scorched earth. Tiger Woods wins that one, um, over Chris DeMarco hitting as everybody sort of remembers driver only one time. He did that on Thursday. Mm -hmm. He just hit two irons to death off the tee. And I bring this up because I had an opportunity to do a little bit of recon work going up to Carnoustie and then to, uh, St. Andrews, Carnoustie being the home for what was then the 2007 British. That one was won by Padraig Harrington. I had an opportunity to play the club. We went out at like six o'clock in the evening. And this oh. time of year, it was not only almost empty because it was a non-open championship time. Um, and the town of Carnoustie is what, maybe 2,000 people who live there permanently? There's, there's, there's nobody there. Mm -hmm. And the captain of the club, who could not have been a nicer, more humble, cool dude, be, of course, British Airways loses my clubs, loses my shoes, which were in the bag. So he's like, oh, let's just go into the club room. We'll just grab you something from somebody who's not here. So he's literally rummaging through golf bags, looking for stuff so that we can go out and play golf. I'm playing in running shoes. We tee off. I had a halfway decent drive on the first, and we're sitting there maybe 150 yards out in the middle of the first fairway. He pulls out a, um, I want to say it was probably like a three iron. And I'm mm -hmm. looking at it, and I'm like, what the hell is this guy about to do? And Christine, he hits essentially a chip shot. He might have taken the club to parallel with the ground on the backswing, like, like knee high, and just bumps it. The ball never got more than six feet off the ground, but it just trundles and rolls and rolls and rolls and stops like 15 feet from the pin. I'm sitting there with eight iron thinking, this is a whole new deal. And he said, lad, that is not going to do it. And I might, of course, my brogue is just maiming and I apologize to everybody who's got a Scottish lineage and ancestry. And me being, of course, just dumb. Say, okay, I'll hit knockdown seven. Well, that still gets caught by the wind and comes up, you know, 15 yards short. And it was just this clinic on, okay, this is what the land is, is offering you up. Take it or don't. But if you are fighting the golf course and fighting the way that it sort of needs to be played, you're in for a rocky ride. This is just not going to – you're going to be battling not just a swing, but you're, you're going to go cuckoo out there trying to figure out how this is going to go, which leads me – to my next sort of thing, one of the things that you did during your break was you started doing some work with PGA Tour Lives, an analyst. 
and you were fantastic, <laughs> and which was not surprising to many of us who know you, but maybe uh, you've, you've done some stuff, I know, with some Solheim Cups. You had dabbled, if I'm not mistaken, you had maybe done the guys maybe once or twice. How did that opportunity come about? What, did you reach out to the tour? Did the tour reach out to you? How did that, how'd that happen? Oh, well, first of all, thank you. I had an absolute ball, uh, you know, being a part of the PJ Tour live coverage. Um, yeah, I was just doing my thing. You know, it was like, wake up. Okay, I'm not dead. Cool. Going to go grab some breakfast, going to work out, going to go play golf, going to come home, going to have dinner, going to sleep, do it all over again. Um, In essence, living my best life. And I get an email from Laura Neal, who works with the PJ Tour, previously had worked with the LPJ Tour. Um, She -hmm. was one of the very first people that I had met on the LPJ Tour when I was a, you know, at the time, 18 years old bushy-tailed, bright-eyed rookie who had no clue what she was stepping into. And she said, hey, random question, would you ever have any interest in doing some PJ Tour live coverage? We were kind of talking about, you know, maybe bringing in some, you know, um, guest analysts and things like that. And your name came up. And I was like, what? (laughs) I was like, me? For the guys? I would absolutely love to. Like, I, I, you know, obviously have, um, you know, always been a huge fan of the game, watched, you know, I mean, I was talking with the girls last week, actually, they were both like, they're so young, we were talking about like, who would you date on tour kind of thing, (laughs) and I was like, you know what, like, I would date Freddie Couples, like, it's just like, just because you've watched the man over the years, he's so suave, he's like, you know, he's just got that like, buttery smooth swing, he's so powerful, and he gets it, and they were just like, he's so old, and I was like, you guys (laughs) are trash, you don't understand anything. So um, she emailed me and I was like, I would I would love to. And so, um, you know, at the RBC Heritage, I had a two day st- two day stint with the likes of, um, you know, the great Karen Stupples, um, uh, John Swantech and, and Mark Carvalli. And I was able to just watch the Masters at work. I just sat there and was like. I don't know what I'm going. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Like, you know, I, I learned on pretty quickly that this was yeah. very different from your quote unquote standard old school commentary in mm-hmm. that sometimes, you know, like the old movies would, you know, like the, the, they used to say in the theaters before the movies of, would start, it'd be like silence is golden. And it's like you dead air is okay. Dead air is there's, yeah. you don't have to add to something if there isn't anything to add. And, you know, I was, um, you know, taught, you know, we're like, okay, we've got mics on the players and they, or not mics on them, but we've got the mics there for the players and the caddies. Like we don't need to talk over them because they can tell us what they're doing. And I'm like, this is amazing. Cause like, I want to know what Colin and JJ are talking to each other. You know, like I, I right. want to know what's going on with these guys. And so, um, you know, I just, I basically just sat there and spectated and then for the memorial, um, you know, they asked me a couple of weeks later, they're like, hey, would you be willing to come in? And, you know, I was able to come in during the week of the memorial, which, you know, I mean, and, and so obviously, you know, at the RBC with it being a Pete Dye golf course, it was just great because I, I just I love how much of a stress Pete puts on his on the mental mm-hmm. game. Like you will sit there, you'll stand on a tee, you'll be like, I have to hit this golf ball on a tiny plot of land in order to have a chance at being able to make birdie. And it's like, you hit your tee shot, you get to the ball, you look around, you're like, I have like 30 yards to work with. Why was I so scared? You know? And, and, um, you know, and then when you go to Jack's place, obviously, you know, like oftentimes it favors people that play a cut and, you know, oftentimes, you know, you're going to see the contours of the greens that are going to, you know, because of the whole location, sometimes you're going to have to play away from the whole location in order to use the slopes on the greens to bring it back in, as opposed to, um, you know, being that sort of bullish, oh, I'm just going to go straight at the flag. And it's like, no, again, just like you were saying with your experience at Carnoustie, there are so many ways that you can get at a whole location and at a flag if you allow yourself to work with the ground as opposed to fighting it. Because at the end of the day, it is you against the golf course. And just like the rules of golf, the, 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 the ground is there to help you. Yeah, it's there to yeah. to provide you the opportunity to get something close and then be able to try and, um, you know, make a putt from there. It's not it's not always, oh, my gosh, you've only got four paces left before you're at the edge of the green and there's a cavernous bunker there. It's like, OK, well, then, you know, maybe fade away from it. And there's a slope that goes from the right to the left. So 
heaven forbid, you're actually opening up the green this way. And in order to do that, maybe you should actually come in from this side of the fairway and things like that. So, you know, for me, I, you know, when I was at, at the memorial, I basically just told myself, I'm going to pretend like it's the final round of the U.S. Open. And I'm sat there watching just like I would, um, you know, when I'm at home talking to a friend that's a golf fan who doesn't mm -hmm. necessarily or who's like, say, like a, you know, high single digit handicapper who doesn't necessarily get, you know, the whys. And, and right. just to kind of provide a little context there. And the only thing that was different was I wasn't shoveling like pork rinds down my gullet and I didn't have my hand down my <laughs> pants. You know, it was just because like for me, I said, if this is something that I may one day down the line actually mm -hmm. pursue, I want it to be fun. You know, I mean, I'm obviously I want to work at it. I want to do my research. I want to do this. I want to do that. Just like I do when I go and prepare on a golf course at the end of the day, I don't want to be disingenuous to who I am. So I'm just going to go out there and I'm just going to have fun. And then they sent me in front of that telestrator and I was like, I don't like this machine. <laughs> and that was like the hardest thing for me for the entire week. And I just, I had such a blast. So um, thank you for that. I, I, no, I really, it was, really it was refreshing in, in a lot of ways. It's refreshing because I think sometimes, and this isn't a criticism, but, but, we all can get in a rut and sometimes I think having fresh eyes brought to a situation or brought to a project or whatever it happens to be can be can work out really well. Um, I used to ghostwrite, I suppose I can sort of tell us now, um, Peter Costas and I used to write his columns together. I, he, he and I would have phone conversations and I would basically sit down, type everything up. He's a, a very bright guy. I would send him a draft because it was going to have his name on it, not mine, and then they would go ahead and publish them. Um, and one of the things that he told me that he learned and was told very early on in his broadcast career was if the viewer can see it on television, you don't have to say it. So that was his thing was when I can add another layer of understanding to the viewer, that's good. Don't speak over players. Don't speak over caddies. But at the same time, then try and add something. Don't just say something because there's dead air. I 100% agree. Um, oftentimes it's refreshing to get a break from hearing people talking and trying to explain something to you. Uh, the, your conversation also made me think of the time when um, Pete Dye came for the course opening in my area up here. I was living in New York at the time, and they were opening up a very, very nice um, public course uh, in Pound Ridge, which is up in Westchester County. And Pete was there for the opening. And I, you, you have never seen somebody so pissed that a person got a hole in one on his golf course from that day. <laughs> Somebody got a hole in one on 15 because Pete came out. It was me and our mutual friend Damon Hack was there. Um, I think Sam Wyman was there, a couple other people, and we were chatting away and having a good time. And word got around as we were finishing, oh, such and such guy got an ace on 15. And Pete's like, what? He, he, he did what? I was like, oh, my God, the guy's going to put a, a, like alligators and snakes on that green <laughs> overnight. This. Uh, he was offended that that somebody that somebody actually did that. When you're at home, what makes a good analyst for you? If do you do you watch a lot of golf on TV when you're say, sort of at home and not in your hibernation state? And and what makes a good golf analyst for you? Well, one I will always watch the majors. Oftentimes, the LPG Tour we're going to take the week of the majors, the men's majors off. Um, yep. And a lot of times I, you know, I, I, I watch as much as I can. It's just hard because a lot of the time, if I'm able to watch the guys, it's because like, say over the weekend, it's like, I've missed the cut. So I'm like, I should be on the golf course, first of all, playing <laughs> and secondly, practicing so that I'm not able to watch golf. Um, you know, and then, the, uh, you know, earlier though, when the, when the guys first went out to play, um, you know. Uh, post lockdown, because we are still in the midst of this pandemic. Um, mm -hmm. I, you know, I, 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 yeah, I watch the guys. I, I think it's, it's amazing to watch them to, to see how they, you know, hit their shots. And um, it's, it's funny, because when we had the, the Vic open earlier this year, uh, just outside of Melbourne, Australia in Geelong, um, over at 13th Beach, it was so funny, because we would be playing practice rounds with the guys. And they would be like, I would be like, you guys hit the ball so far. And be like, but you hit it so straight. So we see completely different parts of the same golf course. Like it's, it is comical because they're just like, I'm like, they'd be like, how many, how many fairways is a bad day of driving for you? I'm like, I don't know, like 11, 12. And they're like, <laughs> they've never seen that before in their lives. Tournament. And I'm like, what are you talking yeah. in a day? 
what are you talking about? And they're like, oh man, if I could hit 11, 11 fairways in a round, I would be, you know, number one in the world. And I'm like, well then bitch, go start hitting your driver straight and then figure it out. Maybe you will. Um, so I do, I do love to watch the guys. It, it is, it is, yep. it is infinitely fascinating. And, and for me, what makes a good analyst is just like you said, you know, someone that adds to the picture without, um, you know, trying to fill dead air. And, and sometimes if you fill in dead air and you're providing information like, okay, because the ball is below his feet, chances are the ball is going to fall from left to right. Or when Bryson was like, how did that draw? And I'm like, bro, the ball is above your feet. It's, it's, it's simple science, yeah. Mr. Scientist. Yeah. <laughs> and for me, the biggest thing is making sure that what is being added to the broadcast is at the benefit of the broadcast. I, one, love hearing passion. I'm, I'm not a big fan of the, you know, old school trope of, of the whisper talk in golf. Um, mm -hmm. You know, because for me, it's like, go ahead and talk. And if someone's about to hit you shut your mouth you know it's the same thing as when i'm playing in a tournament if someone tries to whisper to me while someone's putting i'm like it doesn't no like grant them the respect that they all deserve because i do that i don't speak when other people are hitting mm -hmm. and also if you don't have something relevant to say about what you did in the past maybe just leave it in the past um i don't think we necessarily need to be listening in on a person talking about the major championships that they won when one we're not on the same golf course or two we're not at the same major like you know i i think just trying to stay present and making sure that your focus as an announcer is on the player on the golf course on the staff you know on the things that, again, you're looking at on screen. Um, if you mm -hmm. want to go and, and, and talk about, you know, all of your own personal accolades and things like that, then, you know, maybe call someone up to do like a primetime, uh, you know, hour-long special on you or something like that. I, I don't see why, like, I, 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 I have a strange time personally talking about myself. I am very good at deflecting and I'm very good at, um, having conversations with people where I discuss their favorite subject because human nature is most people's favorite subject is themselves. So I ask a lot of questions generally. And so for me, I think part of the reason why I enjoyed so much of when I was doing the PJ tour live was I was like, I don't know, I can't hit it 388 yards in the air. So I'm not going to talk right. about me. I'm going to talk about what they're doing because they're the guys on the TV are what the viewers want to know about. So if you want to talk about them on a personal level, that's totally okay. If you want to talk about, you know, what they're doing in their golf swing, that's okay. If you want to talk about, you know, mm -hmm. the shot that they're hitting based off of, you know, the lie or what, you know, what the green complex demands of them, that's, that's totally okay. I don't really, it, we can all let me, let me interrupt you the, for just a second, Christina. Yeah. And as, when, when you were, when you were doing some of those broadcasts and when you, when you were, trying to do the analysis, do you have to consciously think, okay, a, a player is presented with this shot or this situation. This is how I would do it. And so therefore this is how they should do it. Or are you trying to think like, okay, whether it's Bryson DeChambeau or Justin Thomas or whoever it is that, that, that you're looking at, you know, in the monitor or, or fo sort of following along with what, what, sh what do I think based on my experience they, they should do given their skill sets, given their strengths? Well, I think, um, I don't necessarily think I would discuss what I would do personally. I generally look at the things that I can see that are completely objective. If the ball is above mm -hmm. your feet, chances are the ball is going to fall from right to left. If the slope is also falling from right to left to a left tuck pin, the golf course is, I, I, I will talk about what the golf course is mm -hmm. telling you to do. Not, not so much this specific player, um, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that is something that I do want to maybe start to incorporate a little bit better in understanding, um, you know, because for me, it's very simple. Like you, you, I, unless it's like a, an extreme situation, you don't, the golf course is there and it is showing you an infinite amount of suggestions as to how to play the course play the whole it's just sometimes you get people and it's it, it, it golf is one of the greatest parallels to life that i've ever come across where 
you yourself as the person, as the golfer, as, as the one striking the ball or whatever, you're going to do what you want as opposed to working with the golf course or working within the rules of golf or whatever it is, you know? So for me, um, you know, I, I do my best to try and take the human element out of it and mm-hmm. just say, this is what the golf course would be saying is going to provide you with the best opportunity to nuzzle it up close. Um, it's it's funny how I, have... one of my best friends just sort of along the lines of exactly what you're talking about. I played uh, last fall with a good buddy of mine, Joey, who is a police officer here in our little town in Connecticut. He doesn't have an opportunity to play all that much, loves the game. And we're teeing off on a par five and he sends it off to the left-hand side and into the rough. I went up, I went ahead, and I actually did hit the fairway. And I called him over to the tee box. I said, Joe, take a look at this for a second. He's like, what do you got? And uh, I said, do you see how the, the, the teeing ground is actually pointed to the left? The whole dog legs to the right. The, the tee markers are set this way. They are pointing you right at the left rough. You, you know, just because like the T markers are pointed and the, and the, the T and ground is aimed in a certain direction doesn't always mean you want to go in that direction. This is a visual throw off. You have all this room to the right. Even I hit this fairway and I suck, you know, (laughs) but, but, but I was able to pick up on the fact that like they're messing with my head a little bit. If I'm aware, then I've, I've got room. Like it's actually not as much. It's just sort of this awareness. And it sounds like to some degree, like people, they're just not aware of some of these things that go on. The idea of an aiming bunker, you know, that there's a bunker that's out there for us recreational golfers who we're, we're not going to reach that. But the designer put that bunker there for a reason. It's not just because they wanted to dig a hole and throw in some sand. It's because they're giving you a clue. It's like, hey, hit it over here. As long as you don't get it into this, if you come up short, you're going to be in a really good spot. You just have to know that that's why that's there. And I think so many people who are watching broadcasts, they, they're not aware of those things. And you're in the unique position where, you know, you, you, you can start to spot this stuff. I mean, again, like keep going back to what you brought up in the beginning. Like the, the more that you become aware of the way a golf course designer thinks and the way that a golf course is laid out, then you can better understand the questions and the problems that you're being presented with. And then you can try and find smarter sometimes maybe easier not always but but sometimes easier solutions to those things and then the, the whole game just opens up doesn't it oh absolutely you know and that's that's the thing is a lot of the time you know our designers are going to create things that look like obstacles and that's they want you to not necessarily take the hero shot in the sense of you've got 288 to the bunker so i want you to hit it 284 so that it opens up the green. It's just like this is where this is where the best place to access the majority of the whole locations are going to come from. So they want you to hit these good golf shots. Um, and you know that's that's the thing is like a lot of times you have to you know you 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 want to sort of start something at the trouble and then play just a little bit away from it. You know, and and it's easier said than done. You know, like say mm-hmm. because I. You know, my biggest thing when it comes to golf is I always say you got to know your ball. And so I know my ball. So that's why I'm able to say, okay, I know it's going to finish here or I know it's going to finish there. And usually by the Mm -hmm. time I make contact with my tee shot, I already know what club I'm going to have into the green. Um, You know, so it it is infinitely fascinating how much information is out there if you just open your mind and open your heart to listening to what the golf course is willing to tell you yeah yeah for sure one of the things that i was it's become a little bit of of a recording at this point with the guys in the pga tour is them talking about how with no fans on the golf course that they have to create some of their own energy some of their own buzz because i i've had guys tell me that you know, Thursday and Friday feels like a Tuesday practice round. They, you know, there's there's so few people out there. They're volunteers and a couple of essential personnel and stuff like that, and maybe a straggler or two media that happens to be walking with that group. But that's pretty much it. It's quiet. And I heard Paul Casey coming off of uh, of 18 yesterday at the PGA Championship, and this is a guy who was right there in contention at the end, saying like, it's still odd. There's no fans to sort of feed off of the energy. Have you been finding that same thing at LPGA Tour events? And what do you try and do to create some motivation within yourself or just sort of amp up your own competitive intensity? 
Well, you know, over the years, I, I think people have sort of um, this misguided perception of who I am. I know a lot of my European uh, fans or people that hate me, I guess, maybe in Europe through Solheim Cup and things like that have have had a slightly misguided perception of, of what I do. I The last thing I ever do when I go through like my celebrations and fist pumps and all of those stuff, it's it, a lot of it is because I'm more surprised than anyone else that I executed <laughs> the shot perfectly. I'm going to be real. You know, and, and Look at I that. I did it. Holy smokes. Yeah. Or if my opponent does it, like, you know, if, if someone right. makes a freaking like Tanya Losegi made an Eagle on, on me on, I, I think it was maybe number six or I forget exactly which hole it was at, at the Solheim cup when we were at rich harvest farms. And I was like, game recognizes game. Like you're damn right. Yeah. Like I, 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 I celebrate good shots. I don't cater towards anyone. I don't give a shit what anybody thinks about me. If they want to f- go ahead and follow me, I think that's wonderful. I still don't understand why. Like to this day, I still don't understand why. I always say I'm just some dude, you know, and I maybe I'm a little more vocal because I'll sit there and I'll talk to every single golf ball. I talk to my food when I'm cooking it. I make sure that they're comfortable, that they know what they're doing, that we're understanding the process that we're undertaking in order to provide a good meal. Um, it's when it's you when know, your food so, talks back to you that we're going to have to be we're going to be a little concerned. When the food is talking back, then oh no, you just crank up I, the fire a little bit more. That's all okay. It is. <laughs> that's, that's enough out of you, flank steak. Here, take that. yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so for me, you know, it's just I I do my best to try and fully immerse myself in the moment. That while I do understand, I and I will readily admit it is very very strange when you know because we've had our two first starts post um first lockdown because god Mm -hmm. only knows if there's going to be another one how many there are going to be what exactly is going to take place um you know so it was definitely strange my biggest thing was when we were over at inverness last week um it was shocking to me because i was out in the middle of the golf course i was on like my 13th hole and like one there are no fans and two there are no stands there are no leaderboards this and that and i'm Mm -hmm. just like man, this, it looks like there are like eight or nine players on the golf course, not 70 some players on the golf course right. at that moment in time. It was so strange. And on top of that, it was like, you got this unbelievable view of this amazing golf course. Um, you know, it's Donald Ross design that Andrew Green had, had done an amazing job, um, you know, bringing back to life that I was able to just, enjoy the architecture and obviously you know i i do miss our fans um and i i love i do love the support that we get i just don't i i I don't feel like i i need them there to make me a better player you know i have Mm -hmm. i put a lot of pressure on myself and i expect um you know my 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 golf game to come out you know whether i'm just dicking around with like the junior golfers I've taken under my wing, uh, you know, the last couple of years over at my golf course in, in, in Orlando, or if I'm going to be playing in front of 150,000 people, like at the same time, it is still the golf course in me. And that's the way that I've always tried to view it. So it's quieter, that's for sure. And it to an extent feels lonelier. Um, the way that I see it though, is just like, you know, when we were in the midst of our, um, uh, of our break during this lockdown, I was, again, I was lucky enough, um, or you can say our governor was something else enough to <laughs> say that golf was still deemed an essential sport so that I was able to go out and practice. And yeah. I always lived the life of today. I'm going to be a better golfer than I was yesterday. And tomorrow I'm going to be a better golfer than I was today. And so it's all about just staying in the moment and staying present. You know, it's like it's like in that movie Hitch when, you know, Will Smith's character is like, you got to, you know, you got to stay in your box. Don't try and dance out here, this, that or whatever. You got to know, <laughs> you know, and that falls in line with one being present. That falls in line with two, yeah. knowing your ball, knowing the ground in which you're stepping upon. Like these are all, you know, keeping your eyes on the things that are right here, right now. Those are the only things that really do and should matter. So explain to me a little bit or sort of walk me through the changes that you have had to and other LPGA players have had to go through in order to to get it going. There's been a lot of talk about what the PGA Tour did um, in terms of testing before tournaments, trying to create 
um, environments where players, caddies, you know, the, the limited number of media and tournament officials and such like that are, are kept safe. Um, limiting number of people that are going to go into clubhouses, limiting who can go on practice facilities. What, what walk me through, uh, a tournament day for you, or maybe, maybe even sort of like a Wednesday, you're not obviously doing pro-ams, but what, what are the days like and, and how, how good do you feel about being on site right now at LPGA tour events? Well, first off, um, you know, I am so grateful to be able to be back out playing and to be able to make a living doing what I love and being fortunate enough to love what I do. There's no question of that in a perfect, perfect world that, um, would still be in a world of COVID. There would have been a lot more precautions taken, uh, in the last four or five months so that the numbers would have dropped down so that we wouldn't have had, you know, over 160,000 people die from this disease. Um, we wouldn't have cases spiking all around the country, things like that. You know, I was, uh, I always joke that I've been, um, doomsday prepping for something like COVID because, you know, like I said, we're, since we arrived here in Scotland, we were able to bypass the 14 day quarantine because if we're not at the golf course, we are only allowed in our hotel. We can get takeout. Mm -hmm. They would much prefer delivery of food, utilizing mm -hmm. room service, things like that. Um, and again, like I said, I've got like 50 pounds of various food items. And so for me, I've been prepping because for the last five years, I've been doing Airbnbs. I've been cooking at home. I've been creating a nice, comfortable, safe space for myself. And it's like I get to the golf course. Um, I don't even utilize dining. I haven't for the last two years, um, for the most part, as it is, because I want to know where my food comes from. I want to know what exactly is in it. And I want to be able to craft what I am eating. And so for me, I get to the golf course. Um, you know, I, I get my practice in. Um, I go out and I play because now we're playing on Wednesdays on the days where we don't have pro-ams. Um, right. I guess, you know, if I finish up any, in terms of my practice or anything like that. And then the only thing I have on my mind is taking my pants off. You know, it's not just, it's not just a today kind of thing. This is me. Once I get to my safe space, pants are off. That's me done for the day. Um, and so I am very good at being a homebody in the last two and a half years. I might've gone out to dinner with friends maybe five times. Um, so there hasn't been a whole lot of change for me in that regard. Um, you know, we're, we're testing, we do an at-home test within seven days of our travel if we're in mm -hmm. an off week. And then we have um, testing on site at the very beginning of the week. You're allowed to practice while maintaining social distancing. You're allowed to play. You're not allowed to go inside any buildings associated with a tournament until you receive, like right now, I'm wearing a wristband that says awaiting results yeah. because yep. I just had my, um, you know, the back of my brain uh, scanned for Squeegee. memories yeah. that I've repressed, uh, yeah. which to be fair, it's not a big deal. Like I, it's, I actually took a not. video of it. I'm going to put it up on my, yeah. I mean, if you've ever inhaled salt water while at the ocean by accident, it's about the same level of discomfort. It's, 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 it's over relatively quickly. And when you think about what, what you're getting an opportunity to do, and I'm assuming that, that you're going to get your test results relatively quickly, whereas there are people that are waiting for test results for five, seven, eight days or more. Um, it's not a huge ask. You know what? I, no. I was able to get tested. I was one of the media members who was going, uh, who went to Travelers Championship on the PGA Tour because it's 20 minutes from my house and the same thing. Uh, I got tested on the Sunday before the results came back Monday. I got a thing on my phone that I showed them. I traded my yellow wristband for a red wristband that showed that I've been tested. Mm -hmm. um, it's not that much of an inconvenience. You know, is it something no. I loved and look forward to? No, but in the grand scheme of things, there are a lot of people out there right now that would love to be fortunate enough to be given a free inconvenience like I got. So exactly. you're not going to hear me whining about getting tested as a media member or whatever. And it was insane that, um, so we we were going through, this was the Wednesday of Travelers, and there was a lineup. They had set up the metal detectors to, for people to go through. Now, they didn't need probably four of them because the, it was a trickling of people that were coming through. But there are four lanes of security, just like we get at, at every event. And the volunteer who was there said, okay, can you go down to, to this this lane? And there was one other person in that lane, and three of them were empty. But I'm like, okay, it's this is not a big deal. It's 7.30 or whatever it was in the morning. I've got my backpack. I've got my wristband. I'm wearing a mask. Like, fine, no problem. 
And the person ahead of me in the line had a couple things and they were fidgeting with this and they couldn't get a zipper open. And so it took a minute, but not much more than that. In that time, two or three other people were behind me. And um, I just turned to the one guy behind me, just purely out of conversation, like, oh, I wonder why we couldn't use the other lanes. And, and he looks at me through his mask, as much as I could tell it was straight. He's like, I wonder why we have to do any of this BS. And I'm like, boy, oh boy. Okay, it's because of that attitude that we have to do this BS. And it's not crap. This is something that any sporting event you go to, every sporting event I think that I've gone to, post 9-11, we've had to go through a metal detector or some type of a security checkpoint. It's usually very quick. We're living Absolutely. under ridiculously crazy times at this point. So what if, if it's if it's one more little wrinkle on this, I felt fortunate to be there. Now, it was weird to go into a media center and have clear plexiglass around my workstation. And there were only about six or seven of us that were, you know, what you would consider to sort of be like national media and whatever. It was me and a couple of the guys and we all were just, we wore masks in there. Yeah. Is it fun? No, it's not. I love going out and BSing with people on the range and stuff, but I had the privilege of being there. So yeah, I was more than happy to get tested, go through like an extra couple layers of things. Not, I, I wasn't able to do everything that I normally do. It wasn't a huge ask. It wasn't a put off, and it wasn't against me personally. So, you just get over it and feel fortunate. But I'm I'm glad to hear that the LPGA Tour is making you ladies out there feel like you're you know in in something of a cocoon and and trying to make you feel safe. Oh, absolutely. There, I mean, and even today, it was there was a bit of a rigmarole with everything that took place because we all landed, we all had to get our bags, we had to go to various car rentals because. Um, they had suggested as many players and caddies as they can, please get a rental car so that one, we're not putting too much of a stress on transportation. And two, we're going to limit the amount of contact that we're going to have with right. other people, you know? And so there were a couple of players that I know of that, um, you know, they, they found out that they had run out of um, automatic transmissions and that, that does stink. You know, I, you know, more than 10 years ago was like, hey, I can learn how to drive on this side of the road. Cool. Hey, I can learn how to drive stick. Cool. Hey, I can learn how to drive stick on this side of the road. Cool. Like, you know, it's the I, I, I'd like to think that I have, um, you know, a, uh, I try and always provide myself with a wealth of knowledge in the off chance that something unforeseen does take place. So for me, you know, they were they were like, we ran out of man, uh, automatic transmissions. Like, does anyone have a manual? And I raised my hand. I said, here's your car. Here you go. Bye bye. Drive safely. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, then we got to the hotel and there was a massive line of players at the hotel because they were only allowing a certain number of people within the building to check in. And then you had to go downstairs. You had to go get your nasal swab and your throat swab and all of this. And then you're able to go to your room. And then from your room, you're not allowed to leave. And then the parking lot where we're all told we have to go and park is like almost a quarter mile away. And I'm just like, you know, I'm like, okay, like it's, it, it was a, it was, you know, it was not an easy task to do all of these things, especially after coming over, you know, an overnight flight after just completing right. a tournament, you know what the alternative, the, the number of alternatives include one, we go about business as normal, a bunch of people get tested get and a bunch sick. of people come back negative or come back positive. And then you have to do contact tracing. You have to do this. You have to do that. Like, you know, and then the other alternative, we don't have a freaking tournament. So you're right. Like, yeah. I, you know, like I flew over in a hazmat suit and goggles again. And in theory, to an extent, I shouldn't have had to because everyone was tested on Thursday or Friday. We all received our results on like Saturday night. That being said, from the time I tested on Thursday to when I was flying on Sunday. Right. I may have contracted the virus on Thursday after I got my test and the incubation period would have um, you know, for the most part would have ended. So I, in theory, could be contagious. So yeah, I looked stupid. I mean, I thought I looked okay because it kind of looked like a 1980s tracksuit sort of. So it was kind of on trend. And like, I was just like, these are, the, if I have to wear a suit made out of fire ants and if I have to get stabbed with like a knife and that's the only way you'd be able to like, not like, you know, to like a point where it would actually cause like internal damage and things like that. <laughs> or, you know, if they had to draw blood or whatever it was and they had to do it every single day to make sure that I came back with negative test results okay because that beats having to be stuck at home that beats having right. to worry about whether or not um the people in my life are are that, that i surround myself with could be getting this virus you know i have not hugged my parents i haven't hugged anyone since the middle of march 
And I sit here and I say, what are a few, what are six months in my life? Or what is one year in my life in comparison to the number of months and number of years in a person's lifetime that I could be saving if heaven forbid I were to be an asymptomatic carrier? Like it, it, yeah, it sucks. Oh, now what? But, but like the, yeah, these exactly. It's like cannot change. So what good does bitching about stuff that cannot be changed do? That's a waste of energy and it's a waste of time. It's like, okay, this is what we have to do. Let's make the best out of this situation and take it from there. I'm all for it. Listen, um, I really appreciate the fact, hopefully I was able to help you get through an hour's worth of jet lag. I know you're going to hit the gym or, or try and do some type of fitness stuff. Get yourself on time. Um, have you played the Renaissance club before? You like it? Yeah, we played there last year, and I okay. I love that course, and I love the fact that um, Aberdeen Investments has the male, the men, and women play the same course. Obviously, last year, we played a few weeks after the men did, whereas this year, we're playing two months before the guys are going to be able to because they had to move tournament mm-hmm. scheduling around and all that stuff. Right. I love that course. I love, love, love British golf. Um, I remember in the last several years, you know, we'd be playing in the East Lothian region um, whenever we're here for the the Scottish, uh, the the ASLO. Um, and so, I mean, I've gone, I played North Berwick the last couple of years. I've gone, played Kilspindy, Crail's right here. Um, obviously, mm. the gul- courses at Gullin, like it, it's, there's so many amazing, iconic golf courses that, the only thing that kind of stinks is I would be like, okay, you know what? I, I have to get delivery every day. That's fine. I have to do this. I have to do that. That's fine. I can't play can't North Berwick. Yeah. Like, that, so that, and that would be the thing is, is, is getting out there. And again, because right now, early August, there's so much daylight. You can get out there. You can peg it up, do whatever you need to do. And um, it's, I think that right now, what? It's like the, t- we're, we're recording this on Monday. It's the 10th of August. And you've got to still be able to play till nine o'clock easily. Um, I know oh, when I go over there for the opens, depending on where we are, the ones in Scotland, which are just still a little further north, you're out there until 10 o'clock, 1030. I think that when we played, I remember playing at Deal um, at Sinkports when we were there, was that 2012, 2011, something like that, when Darren Clark won at Royal St. George. And we were, we were on the golf course at 1015 and it was fine. Not a problem. It was it was twilight. Um, the water's cracking around, and I'm like, "This is this is bliss. This is as good as it's going to get." Now, unfortunately, unfortunately, there's also daylight coming into your bedroom window around 4 a.m. And if you've been out playing golf and you know and didn't get in, it's like, no, daylight's going to happen really quickly too. Um, what do you think about looking ahead just a little bit? What do you think about uh, Royal Troon? I am I. I have played the postage stamp so many times in my brain over the years. I think I'm at about <laughs> 17 over par for, <laughs> for the whole, but I, I'm so, so thrilled to be able to go over there and, and to play the course and check it out and just, you know, lay my feet on the ground there, touch the soil just to, to be able to go out and be at such an iconic golf course, which, you know, AIG has yeah. been doing a great job with getting us out to, some of the, you know, quote unquote, normal Rota open golf courses, you know, I mean, ever since, um, you know, the LGU, and then since they've been acquired by the RNA, they've been doing such an amazing job with getting us out to so many amazing courses, you know, throughout my entire career. And so this is one that I have not been to yet. And so I am stoked. It's a, it's a special place. I think I will let, let's listen. Let's get together. Let's chat. Even if it's not recording, I want to hear about what, what you think about Troon. It's one of my favorites. It's uh, it's just off the beaten path enough where I think some tourists and such like that don't include it for whatever reason um, on their trips, but, but it is high, high, high up on my list. The postage stamp is great. And so is everything else about it. Um, listen, Thank you very much for giving me so much time. I really appreciate you coming on the Forward Press. I will look forward to hopefully, uh, hopefully that we can do it at some point when we're in the same hemisphere. Um, you know, and that'll just make it a yes, little bit easier for the both of us. In per- you know what? Here's the deal. Um, the safest, I think that we are actually, the safest state right now in the U.S. as far as COVID is my little nutmeg state of Connecticut. We have done, patting myself on the back, a tremendous job of... Unfortunately, going through April and early May, which sucked, 
Um, but we have not seen a rebound, and I want to keep it that way. We're trying to do everything we can. The next time you are in New York or if you were in my area, I know from my days in Brooklyn, every good steakhouse in New York City. I have done extensive research. We will uh, we will break not bread but meat or, or some kind of vegetables. It'll be a good time, and uh, yeah, that would be fantastic. I would really enjoy that. Christina, best of luck to you or in Scotland. I appreciate you so much, David. Thank you. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.